right, day 75. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're in the thick of First Samuel. So just to catch you up, to uh, refresh on where we've been, right? So this is a transitional period in the history of Israel. Remember, we were in the days, the dark ages of the judges, and now we are transitioning into a brighter age with the monarchy, with the kingdom, the Davidic kingdom that is going to be set up on earth by God. And so the people of God, it starts off with Samuel, who is this faithful prophet and the last judge who is going to anoint Israel's first king. Israel's first king is this guy named Saul. Saul is the guy that Israel chose, not necessarily the guy that God chose, right? And in the last chapter, we show that bruh had all the signs that he wasn't the one that they wanted, right? So this ain't the one that you want, right? And further and further and further, you're going to see more of that in the text today. So 1 Samuel 13 Right. We have another battle with the Israelites and the Philistines. The Philistines were the primary enemy of the people of Israel against God's people in this day. And they want smoke. Right. Like they like what's good. Right. In verse five of chapter 13 even says, fam, they had troops as numerous as the sand of the seashore. Right. So they pull up deep trying to fight against the people of God. So what does Israel do? Right. They go into retreat mode, right? They shook, they're scared, and they take cover. In fact, check this. In fact, some of the Israelites were so shook that the Bible says they went back across the Jordan. What is the Jordan? Well, the Jordan was the river that Israel uh, crossed as, as if on dry land to come into the promised land. So in other words, they're so scared that they're leaving the promised land that God had given to them, right? And here it's like, all right, Saul, what you gonna do? You're the king, you're the ruler, you're the one who brings justice and righteousness for the people of God, what you gonna do? And my man shows himself to not be that guy again, right? So in chapter 10, verse eight, Samuel told Saul, he said, hey, don't offer no sacrifices. Wait seven days and wait for me to come and perform the sacrifices for you. So Saul gets shook just like everybody else. He panics. And in an urgent moment of deep spiritual weakness, he sacrifices. Right? He sacrifices because he thinks it will bring and merit God's help in the situation. And if you remember the first five books of the Bible, Saul is not a priest. Right? So he is not uh, allowed by the law to do such things, right? And the text is gonna show us that nobody, listen, in God's economy, and this applies today, nobody, I don't care who you are, is above God's law, right? Especially not the king, right? Even the king must submit to and live in according to God's law. And it's crazy that Saul thought, hear this, that disobeying the Lord would bring God's favor, right? How'd that work, <laughs> right? Disobedience, even when it seems like the urgent thing to do, is not the right thing to do. 
And Saul knew this, right? And so again, the text is going to just show us rather than just tell us that by all earthly appearances, fam, he's the guy, right? By earthly appearances, quote unquote, tall, handsome, and good looking, was nice with the military strategy per his victory victory in uh, 1 Samuel 11, and he even had the popular vote, right? However, the Bible is showing us that he is spiritually unfit for leadership rather than merely just telling us that he's spiritually unfit for leadership. And so God's leaders should lead out in obeying God's law. Chapter 14 comes and we're going to begin to see this pattern that is laced throughout the rest of the book from this point on, this striking difference between Jonathan and his father Saul. So remember I said in this period and in this book, the literary technique that the author is going to use to construe history at this point is um, characterization, right? And often characters are going to be juxtaposed, right? Um, and so Jonathan is juxtaposed. He saw son with his dad. And so in 14, Jonathan is going to act independently of his father by initiating a small military mission against the Philistines again, right? And he shows his great faith, which he believes that in the pursuit of um, of the Philistines, it will be the Lord who would act on their behalf, right? And he is an outlier in this time. He knows that true victory doesn't come from any man, regardless of how impressive a leader he is, right? But from God, from Yahweh himself. And so we see the spiritual maturity of his son, right? Instead of Saul himself. And he shows that this spiritual maturity is more important than physical prowess right and so god acts on that principle in this text and again saul just shows himself not to be that guy and you know what's interesting in this text as well is that jonathan was supposed to be the heir to the throne uh hereditarily speaking right so in other words if saul had continually obeyed the commands of the lord um, he would have passed, he would have passed the throne on to a faithful son who would have continually delivered Israel from his enemies. But, but Jonathan, right, unlike Saul, remembers the words of Samuel in 1 Samuel 9 that the king would deliver the people from the hand of the Philistines. And so, this contrast where Jonathan listens to God's word and Saul doesn't hear will grow and begin to morph in this text where they don't, uh, not just what they not only have a relationship, but it actually turns into a rivalry. In 1 Samuel 15, right, on the surface, it seems as if Saul gets another chance, right? So Samuel comes to him and says, hey, Saul, the Amalekites, right, gave Israel a hard time, fam. They gave Israel a hard time when they came out of Egypt. So what I want you to do is to go fight against the Amalekites, and I don't want you to spare any of them or their livestock. And in 1 Samuel 15, 9, the text says this, Saul and the troops spared Agag and the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, choice animals, as well as the young rams and the best of everything else. They were not willing to destroy them, but they did destroy all the worthless and unwanted things. So the text is clearly saying that Saul disobeys. And the text is going to say, hey, God regretted that he made Saul king. All right, and this is the same language that is used in Genesis 6. And we know that after God had regretted his creation, he brought judgment. And so God is going to bring judgment here on Saul, right? And what's interesting is, you know, that Saul partially obeyed, but he didn't fully obey, 
right? So partial obedience, according to this text, is disobedience, right? And, you know, part of the reason, hear this. So so part of the reason, 1 Samuel, in the next few books, um, like First and Second Kings, were originally um, in the Hebrew mindset called the former prophets was because they had this central theme of the prophets, right? And their role, especially in the midst and the time of the kingship. And one of the major things you will see throughout Samuel and Kings is the failure to heed. It is the failure to heed and obey the prophetic word. And so what Saul does here is characteristic of what will be true throughout the later dynasty. Saul doesn't heed the prophetic word, right? He doesn't listen to God's prophet, right? And so Samuel says, yo, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord, right? To obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. So Saul's rejection is going to lead, uh, Saul's rejection of the Lord's word is going to lead to the Lord's rejection of him. Now, what's interesting is this. Obedience is better than sacrifice. What does that mean? People say it all the time. Obedience surpasses sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Listen, this truth is reinforced by the words to heed is better than the fat of rams clearly now clearly the first five books of the bible talked about sacrifice in the life of obedience to god so what is it saying in other words the text is trying to say this even though sacrifice is part of obeying god it is never envisioned as a substitute for obeying god so in other words it's not the sacrifices are not there so you can just do what you want and then say oh, i can sacrifice to god and god will forgive my sins no 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 no, no. it's not a substitute right it's not no ceremonial or religious institution can make up for a rebellious attitude to god and his commands in his word and so this resistance to the word of god and this exaltation of what saul thought was right right and putting himself in the place of authority is a slap in the face to our lord obedience is better than sacrifice means it was never meant as a or Obedience is better than sacrifice means this sacrifice was never meant as a substitute for obedience. So God, so God is like, yo, I'm a, I've rejected Saul. I'm going to replace Saul with another king. So, you know, God says this and the replacement is David. David, he's the one the Lord will choose and he will be the main character after Saul in First and Second Samuel. Now, the kingship is torn from Saul, given to David. And, you know, Samuel is told to go to the house of Jesse, right, to get the one who is after the Lord's own Heart, the one whom the Lord would choose. And he is the youngest, he is the least likely, and he is a shepherd. All right. He is the one Israel needs, and he is the one God chooses, not because of anything he has outwardly, but because of God's purposes that he planned beforehand. Right? He is anointed as king in 16. And we're going to see the spirit of the Lord come upon David in this text so what does god do he raises up an unlikely shepherd the youngest of his brothers a spirit empowered anointed king that will give his people victory in this text in chapter 16 he's going to use a lyre right it's an instrument uh, where you play music to combat and remove an evil spirit from saul and in the next text we will see tomorrow what he will do to defeat the evil enemy of God's people. God has to raise up his king for his people to be delivered and saved from their enemies. God doesn't choose like we do. And that is good news. And David is only a foreshadow 
of David's greater son, Jesus, right? Who will deliver, who is chosen by God from all of eternity, who will deliver um, God's people from their enemies and who seemingly and unassumingly uh, doesn't seem to uh, uh, the naked eye like he is the Messiah. But by God's grace, he is and he will save us from our sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your choice, Father. We pray that we would look through your eyes and not merely through our own. And we pray, God, that we will realize that no one is above God's law. And your son proved that. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.